Welcome to Investigate Joe Rogan. Today I'm looking at episode 1467 with Jack Carr, creator of the Pixar film Cars. And this was somewhat of a friend simulator sort of episode, so I only have a few things to really hard fact check, but I also have some comments that I feel should be made. I enjoyed that Jack Carr and Joe Rogan matched in this episode. They've both got their so-called dad hats on and their beards. However, while Rogan has more of a stubble beard, Carr has a Dan Bilzerian sort of beard, where it looks like it's going to slowly creep up his entire face, and he will finish transforming into a werewolf. They start off mostly talking about his books and how he got started, his story of how the book got published ultimately just comes down to him happening to know someone in publishing. Anyone can tell you that this is basically the only way to get something published or get into the entertainment industry. He also talks about the research he did for the book, and he says that the average person commits three felonies a day. And this is something you'll see on the internet a lot as well. And the idea comes from the book Three Felonies a Day, colon, How the Feds Target the Innocent. And the book does not literally argue for the idea that the average person commits three felonies a day on average. The argument that the book makes is that the government has created an endless number of obscure, pointless, and mostly unenforced laws. It doesn't actually argue that most people unknowingly commit several felonies a day. Personally, I know exactly what felonies I'm committing on a daily basis. And they're not, the, they're not the tame kind, like opening someone else's mail. But maybe if you're some sort of lame-o, you're not even aware of the laws you're breaking. I don't know. Later, they talk about the plague. And Carr says that the people who came back from World War II, they didn't complain. And they built this country. And now, of course, everyone has gone soft and is a bunch of babies. You probably heard this and just thought it was a harmless sort of boomer comment, you know, oh, kids these days, they don't mow the lawns like they used to. But this is actually an extremely bad way of viewing America. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the lawn mowing stuff. I'm talking about this idea that America really got started after World War II. America, in fact, already existed prior to the end of World War II. Several important historical things happened, such as Abraham Lincoln, uh, peanut butter was invented, etc. So what was actually built when the boys came back from World War II? It was not the country, because we already had one of those. It was the military-industrial complex. The end of World War II was the beginning of the permanent so-called garrison state that we now find ourselves living in. The boys came home and they 
realized that the war needed to be kept going somewhere in the world to justify the existence of the massive standing military that soaks up a huge amount of taxes. That's basically what's been going on since World War II. Honestly, I don't really care about you know people saying, oh, kids these days, you know, when I was a kid, nickels were a dime and you had to turn up on your belt and all that stuff. Because, I mean, every generation does that when they get old. When I'm old, I'll, I'll be yelling at the kids on my lawn. But equating the creation of the military-industrial complex with the creation of modern America and real America, that's going too far. I will not stand for this. Now they move on to a topic that's much more important than this, which is Magnum P.I. Carr says that Magnum P.I. was the first person to shoot an unarmed man on television. And this is not true. I mean, just think about it. The most popular genre of TV uh, in the era before Magnum P.I. was westerns. And people get blasted left and right in westerns. You know, they're falling out of saloon windows. They're falling off their horses. They're slumping over tables. People got blasted all the time. So the 1982 episode of Magnum P.I., Did You See the Sunrise, was not the first time that someone without a gun got shot on TV. However, the episode is seen as the most controversial in the series. According to Magnamania.com, the ending where he shoots the unarmed man was even edited out of the UK airing of the episode. I guess because nobody in the UK has ever seen a gun in their life, ever. Now, is Magnamania.com a trustworthy source of information? I will leave that for you to decide. But regardless, it is a pretty interesting piece of TV history that I was unaware of. They return to talking about Carr's books, and Carr says that he actually imagined Chris Pratt playing the character he created, and now, of course, Chris Pratt really is going to play that character. Rogan suggests that this could be due to the law of attraction, which he believes could be a real thing. They talk about promoting the books, and Carr says that he studied social media for a year, before making his first post. Now, what does this mean? Did he read books or something about the history of the internet and computing and social media or whatever for a year before he ever tweeted anything? Or does he simply mean that he lurked without posting for a year and is just saying it in a very pretentious way? I don't know. Either way, I found this comment to be both Amusing and bizarre, honestly. A couple of times they talk about how Carr's books are apparently full of references to real companies run by people he knows in real life, such as Black Rifle Coffee. And Rogan thinks that this is really cool, but I cannot imagine that product placement is any less awkward in books than it is in movies and TV. I honestly, before this, had never heard of a book containing product placement, and I have never come across product placement in any book I have ever read. Now, I have not read any of Carr's books, so I can't really judge, 
But if anyone listening to this has read them, please let me know if he pulls it off or if it just comes across as awkward product placement. On a side note, if you want to see the greatest use of product placement ever, just go on YouTube and look up Hawaii Five O Subway. It's, it's seriously really hilarious. Now the last thing I will talk about is torture. Rogan is very pro-torture. He says that it's just obvious that it works. If you don't like it, you're pretty much just a liberal. He's all for torture. He's gung-ho for torture. Now, Carr does not land on one side or the other. He points out some of the negatives, but he ultimately just says that he doesn't know whether torture works or not. Now, maybe nobody can really know for sure, because so much information surrounding torture is perhaps lost forever in secret classified documents. But it seems to me as though torture does not work. There's a famous quote from one of Saddam Hussein's torturers. He said, you can always make someone talk. The problem is what they say. This is the issue in a nutshell. And it also sounds like a line from Saeed on Lost. A study called The Who, What, and Why of Human Intelligence Gathering, Self-Reported Measures of Interrogation Methods, interviewed 152 U.S. military and federal-level interrogators. It concluded that, quote, results indicate that rapport and relationship-building techniques were employed most often and were perceived as the most effective regardless of context and intended outcome particularly in comparison to confrontational techniques. So what all these interrogators said was that trying to build some sort of communication relationship works better than enhanced interrogation, as it's called. Now, more importantly, there is the Committee Study of the Central Intelligence Agency's Detention and Interrogation Program, which came out in 2014. And I will just read some quotes directly from the study rather than paraphrasing some sort of conclusion myself. The CIA's use of its enhanced interrogation techniques was not an effective means of acquiring intelligence or gaining cooperation from detainees. The CIA's justification for the use of its enhanced interrogation techniques rested on inaccurate claims of their effectiveness. The interrogations of CIA detainees were brutal and far worse than the CIA represented to policymakers and others. The CIA repeatedly provided inaccurate information to the Department of Justice, impeding a proper legal analysis of the CIA's detention and interrogation program. The CIA has actively avoided or impeded congressional oversight of the program. The CIA impeded effective White House oversight and decision-making. The CIA coordinated the release of classified information to the media, including inaccurate information concerning the effectiveness of the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques. So basically what this report found is that not only did torture not work, but the CIA lied and said that it did work because it didn't work.
Now, the last finding about how the CIA lied to the rest of the government and to journalists is particularly disturbing. And essentially what they did was they made up numbers of lives that they had supposedly saved by information they got from torturing. And I find this particularly interesting, because if you remember, this is what they did with the Snowden leaks as well, about the NSA. When those leaks were coming out, they got these like spooks to go on TV and say, oh, well, the reason we need this mass surveillance is because we saved a bajillion people last year from terrorist attacks. And of course, there's no proof. And, it's, and if you ask for proof, they'll say, oh, it's, it's classified because we can't tell you that. Now, here is a case where they are confirmed to have lied about lives they supposedly saved. So I think it's pretty reasonable to think that they lied again with all the Snowden stuff. Now, obviously, you can find historical one-off examples of torture working in specific instances. But in general, when it comes to the war on terror and America, it just doesn't really seem like torture works. There does not seem to be a lot of evidence that it has worked. So the only real reason to think that it works is if for whatever reason, you decide that the only source of information you are going to trust is the CIA. (laughs) I think that this would make you a sort of reverse conspiracy theorist. Whereas conspiracy theorists are of course hyper-skeptical of secret government organizations. Someone who thinks torture works would have to say that the only source of information they believe is the CIA. (laughs) They only trust secret government organizations. This would be a bizarre ideology to have, but these people must be out there somewhere. Now, I'm really not kept up at night worrying about terrorists and what happens to them. I don't feel bad for them. Even reading about the craziest stuff the CIA did to these guys, you know, I I really cannot conjure up any sympathy for them. But if it doesn't work, there is just no point in doing it and risking all the negative effects of it, like giving terrorists ammo for recruitment and harming our international reputation. And I also read a bunch of stuff about how it can have a really negative impact on the torturers themselves, oddly enough. So when you run these sorts of programs, you sort of traumatize a ton of your personnel as a sort of weird side effect of this. And that is all I have to say about episode 1467. Overall, I found Carr to be somewhat cringe. You know, with his constantly referring to himself as an operator and calling everything that happened in the military downrange. I would say on the ex-military cringe spectrum, he is worse than Andy Stumpf, but better than Jocko. So you may take from that what you will. I hope you feel as though you have learned something about Magnum P.I. and about torture. In the next episode, I will investigate Elon Musk's return, of course.